in a series that we started two months ago called Foundations, and this series is um, not just for new believers, but new believers need a foundation. They need a foundation to build their faith on, and there are certain doctrines in the Word of God that are just, that are just foundational for us as believers. But then as uh, we grow in our walk with God and we mature in our walk with God, that we, we will have the opportunity to teach others the foundational principles of Christianity. You should be. That is a mark of maturity, right? To be able to share your faith, not just tell people about Jesus, but then to take that new Christian, and it could be your teenage son or daughter. It could be um, a friend, a coworker, a classmate. It could be someone that uh, you... you um, that it's in the family, and, and you're just helping them to grow in Christ, and maybe they have questions, and you should be able to. The Bible tells us to be ready, to be ready to be able to give an account of our faith. But it's not just, I believe in Jesus. What do we walk in? What are the foundational principles? And so we've, we've walked through some of those. Today, uh, we're going to actually be talking about the church the church, and we're going to answer some questions today, like, like you know, who is the church? What is the church? What does the church do? Why is it important? Um, because there are many people who do have questions, uh, especially, probably more now than ever, but it's always been this case that people have questions about the church, about church in general. Is church really important? Do I need to go to church? Can't I just watch a podcast of a pastor somewhere or watch a church service somewhere else, you know, or can I just like stay at home and watch church from home, uh, you know, because Northwood does broadcast, you know, why can't I just do that? Do I need to come to church? Then as we, you know, start answering those questions, we realize, okay, if I'm going to go to church and I want to go to the right church, right? Don't you want to go to the right church? And so, you know, we ask questions like, do they have a good, good kids ministry? If we got kids, we want to make sure that our kids are getting taught, you know, the gospel. And, and, or, or do they have a good, you know, men's ministry for the men, a good women's ministry for the women, uh, you know, good singles ministry, right, for those of you that aren't married. Do they have good coffee, right? I mean, come on. We always like, I, mean, I don't want to go to church with bad coffee, you know. Yeah, good coffee. How about, how about what style of music does the, do the church play? Is it more, more traditional, right, hymns? Open the hymnal to page 435. Or is it more contemporary, something more like what we, what we did today? You know, and, and we ask those questions. What about the preaching? Is the preaching going to be relevant to my tomorrows? You know, am I going to be able to use this on Monday? Or is it going to be deep, deep teaching? Because I like deep teaching. Are we going to deep dive in the Word of God? Is it going to be a place that I'm going to be able to make a friend? Are people friendly there? You know, how many of you would say Northwood's a friendly place? Anybody here? Yeah, we try. We try. We, we really do. Hospitality is a big deal here at Northwood. Am I going to be able to, to walk in community with other believers? Um, or maybe this one. Maybe this is the question that, that you ask. Is this place going to make me serve? <laughs> Are they going to leave me alone and just let me go to church? Because <laughs> I really, that's all I want to do. Um, I don't want to be asked too much to do. You know, it's, I, you know and I, I see this a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it's kind of like the Goldilocks thing. It's, it's like, you know, is this church too rough? Is it too soft? Or is it just right? Is this the place for me? I really do believe that many times people are continuously seeking for the perfect church. And I don't know that you're ever going to find the perfect church. 
there's going to be something in every church that you're going to go, eh, don't like that. But really, when we're looking for a church, uh, the first thing, the first and most important thing we should do is to pray and ask God, where do you want me, God? Where do you want me to be? Because if God speaks to you, and I will say this about Angela and I, when we came to Northwood, it was around 28 years ago, Mariah was in Angela's belly, and she's almost 28 now, so 28 years ago, we walked through the doors of Northwood. We were at another church, and we were really struggling, and in retrospect, I don't know, maybe we, sh- we shouldn't have left that church, maybe God was dealing with us and working on us, and we just were immature, and we bugged out, but we left that church, and we were looking for a new church, and when we walked into Northwood, and I don't think I made it through the lobby yet. I started crying. And then we went and we sat down somewhere, maybe the second row, and it wasn't in this building or this room, but it was in a room like this in Gulfport. And if you're familiar, building two, uh, Doug and Susan were already there. Willie and Sarah were already there. They were sitting in that room that day when we walked in. And we sat about second, third row. We sat with Judy and and John. She had invited us. That's Angela's aunt and uncle. And um, and when we we sat down, I, I started crying before the worship started or anything. And I don't even remember, honestly, if the worship was any good. I just know that it ministered to me. And I know that God got a hold of me, and he spoke to me that day, and he said, this is your new church. This is home. This is where I want you to be. And in the last 28 years, we've not agreed with everything. There have been many things that we've had to wrestle through ourselves personally. Uh, There's still things today, and then something will pop up tomorrow that we'll have to work through. But we know this is home. You know, uh, I don't know, anybody ever ran away from home? <laughs> As a kid, you know, you run away from home, but you didn't divorce your family. They're, you still got their last name. <laughs> you know, it's, you can't get rid of your family. This is, so if you're home, you know, you've found your church. It is the perfect church for you because it's the church that God wants for you. So let's take a dive into the church today. And I believe we're going to get some help. Father, I pray. I pray that we would all hear your Holy Spirit speak to us today and that we would grow in our understanding of your church, your church, your church, and embrace it as our church. And help us today, God, to develop a deep conviction to defend, to live for the things of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The word church first appeared in the Bible in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, a story where Jesus had taken his disciples up north to the Sea of Galilee. They were on the coast there. They had traveled to a small village north of Caesarea and, uh, called Caesarea Philippi. And um, he had, was talking to his disciples, and he said, Who do people say that I am? And they said this, they said that. And then he looked at them, and he looked at his disciples, and he said, Who do you say that I am? And, and they were answering things, Peter, Peter. He said, Peter, who do you say that I am? And he said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this is when Jesus really responded with a strong statement here. Matthew 16, 18, he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. It's the first time church is mentioned, as well as Jesus mentioning church in the Bible. I will build my church, my ecclesia, ecclesia, depending on how you want to say it, my ecclesia in the Greek. I will build my church gathering my called out ones i will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it this word church ecclesia or ecclesia is used 114 different times in the bible it's where we get the word ecclesiology ecclesiology is the study of 
the church. If you have a good understanding or general understanding of ecclesiology, you'll have a better understanding of the things of God or faith in God. You will understand how we as the body of Christ, how we should be functioning inside the context of the body of Christ. The New Testament church began not long after that, around AD 33, as Christ uh, resurrected, he told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and, and, and that don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. He had talked to them multiple times about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And he said, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. In other words, just wait, right? Just wait. So they were upstairs in what's now known as the upper room. There was about 120 of them in this upper room. And who knows completely what they were doing, praying, singing, uh, they were seeking God. They were encouraging one another. They were already being uh, like the church. You know, they were already loving on one another. He had told them before he left, a new command I give to you to love one another. He washed their feet and said, now do this. And so they might have been up there practicing foot washing. I don't know. But they were loving on one another, waiting, waiting. And sure enough, 50 days after the Passover was the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit showed up upon the 120 in that upper room that day. It says in the Bible, in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, that the Holy Spirit appeared to them, as it were, tongues of fire on top of their heads. How many of you know that's a special day? How many of you, how many of you have been around when tongues of fire showed up? No, you didn't. Stop it, Stacy. <laughs> We've, yeah, I know what you mean, because I've been in rooms where I felt like that. But that's the only time we see it happening. It could happen. Don't, 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 cut, cut God, excuse me, don't cut God short. He could show up today in tongues of fire. He could show up wherever he wants to. He's God. But in that day, imagine with me, though, Stacey, imagine being in the upper room. Men, women, they were serving one another. They were excited. Jesus had resurrected. They saw it. They saw the resurrected Jesus. They knew he was alive. The songs we sang today, they were singing them with even greater conviction. They had touched the wounds in his hands and the side. They knew he was alive. He had spoken to them. They had a command. They had a mission, and they were waiting. And all of a sudden, like a mighty rushing wind, the Holy Spirit showed up on the day of Pentecost, which was a special day in Jewish tradition. Afterward, they came downstairs, and Peter preached to the crowds that had gathered there. There were a lot of people in town for the Passover. There were a lot of people in town for the feast, the festival. And um, they were still there celebrating, and all of a sudden this commotion, right? They heard this noise. Obviously, they came, they gathered, and the disciples and, and all the folks came downstairs. Peter preached to the crowds that had gathered, and many repented and got saved. Not, not just a few, y'all. Not just a few. Thousands. Thousands of people. Something was happening. In Acts 2, 40, it says, With many other words, he warned them, Peter warned them, and he pled with them, pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation says those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to that number of the day. The church had been born. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Last week we taught on communion, the breaking of bread. They were doing that as they got saved in the early church. They were breaking bread together. They were celebrating the resurrected Christ. They were celebrating the body and the blood together. The word church has, of course, diverse meanings to you and I here today. Um, it certainly includes 
those who have put their trust in Jesus worldwide throughout all the generations. We would call this like the global church or the universal church, right? The word Catholic actually means universal. It's a, it's a, it's a, a broader word, a more general term for the church. So we know that we're not the only church, and there's lots of churches globally. I think that is fantastic that right now around the world, people are worshiping God and praising Him, many like we were doing, but there's tens of thousands of different styles of worship. This is just one that we did today. Rebecca, you were up here worshiping one of the tens of thousands of styles of worship. Some is very solemn, and some is spoken word only, and some they have, you know, some of it, some of it's louder, you know, y'all with your watches, you know, some of it's louder uh, in stadiums, and, but, but, but all around the world, people are crying out to God. I'm not sure God's looking down and saying, ooh, I like that, Rebecca, or if he's just saying, I like all of it. Look at my people. They're worshiping. The church is glorifying the king. So we know it's the global church. We also, and another expression of church is just local gatherings, like Northwood. We are the church. We're the church. We're Northwood Church. So we're one expression of the many. But we are a church. The people. We're the church. Oftentimes we think we're going to church, but really we are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. And and then, I know, logically speaking, this building is a church. It is a church house. We're a 501c3 nonprofit because we're a building with a church with people, right? And so we are. And it is okay to say the building is the church. Oftentimes I've fought that. You know, this building is not the church. It's the people. But yeah, okay, the building is the church as well. I don't think this building is sacred until we get here. But when we get here and when we gather, all of us, this band of misfits, this group of people that come from all walks of life, and we assemble together here and we lift up the name of Jesus, something special happens. The Spirit of God, just like the day of Pentecost, Stacy, where it fell and it was like tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit, He is here in our midst. This now becomes a sacred space. This is the church. This is something special. This is God's design, the church. So who is the church? Well, there's several things that you could say about the church. We need to know about the church. Number one, the church is a spiritual community of believers. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So we, in order to get into the church, to be a part of the church, to literally be called the church as a people, we had to get saved. We had to get saved. And the only way to get saved is by, to be drawn by the Holy Spirit, to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. You didn't save yourself, right? We know that. It's God's doing only. And He saved us. And then when He saved us, He added us to the body of Christ. We are now in Christ as a body, okay? And so we are the church, but it's a spiritual community. It's, it's not a natural community. It's not like another club around town. It's not another organization just because we have a 501c3. We're not just a, another organization, right? You join, Arnie, you've been in the Kiwanis Club, economic development, all those things. But this is different. This is a spiritual community. But in one spirit, we were all baptized. Come on, somebody say all. All of us into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And even in the day Paul was writing this letter to the church, it would have been appropriate even to say men and women. 
Because in his day, it was different for women. Women did not have rights at all. They did not own property. They did not have jobs. They didn't have education. And so here in this context, it would have been appropriate even to say that, that even women can be in the church. But it's everybody, all together. I love that about this room right now, that there's different ages of people. I'm sorry, Nancy. I didn't mean to look at you. (laughs) Different ages. We're the same age almost. You're older, but just close. All ages, and then there's, there's men and women, all different backgrounds, rich and poor, and none of that matters right now. That's what's, that's what's so special about this. None of that matters right now. We're all on a level playing field when we walk into the body of Christ, when we're together like this. Everybody cares for everybody because it's a spiritual community of believers. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit builds the church. He unites us in Christ. He leads us to love and serve one another. He empowers us to share the good news as the church. Number two, the church is the household of God. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens, fellow citizens with the saints, the members of the household of God. So the Holy Spirit supernaturally connects us. It's a spiritual connection, spiritual community, but He connects us together as family, as the household of God, as the family of God, and He encourages us to serve one another in brotherly love. Man, I can tell you over the years, and again, we've been at Northwood 28 years, but I've seen, I've experienced so many things. One of my favorite stories to tell is when we were in small group in, in uh, Gulfport, and we were, we were small group leaders, and we had, we had a rather large group. We were probably 30 people in our small group at that time, kids and all, a lot of kids. Y'all have been there. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And so, and, and remember Sosin Giovanna, and she was pregnant. And they were going to have a midwife come instead of go to the hospital thing. You know, anybody done that? You know, where you bring the midwife in and have the baby at home. And so that morning, like 4 a.m., we got the phone call. That was before texting. We got the phone call. Ding, ding, ding. Pick it up off the wall, you know, the little cord. And I'm having my baby. It was him. She's having the baby. And we let the group know. We all went there. The whole group showed up at the house. The midwife the, the mom and all the ladies were upstairs, and the men were downstairs. I don't know if you were there yet. You were somewhere else. But we had a baby monitor. They already bought it. And so they turned that on, and the men are all gathered around the table listening to the baby monitor. And all of a sudden, we heard the baby cry, and downstairs we roared. Yeah, she had the baby. And the ladies were up there cheering. You know, that's family, y'all. That's the body of Christ. Y'all know, y'all got stories too of how you've served one another and helped one another out. And it might have been encouraging word or prayer. It might have been financially helping someone. It might have been uh, uh, going and doing something at their house or someone helping people. You know, some people just need help with organization. Some people need help at home. They can't do it. And, and you've helped. Brad, you came to my house one time because I couldn't get my mower blade off of my mower. And I was so mad. I was bleeding because when I pick up tools, I bleed. And I was bleeding and I was so mad. And I think maybe Angela told Brad. I don't even think I did. But anyhow, you came to my house. I saw him drive in, and then he drove out. And I thought, well, he, he couldn't do it either. But that's how long it took him. <laughs> I still, I can't forget that. I love you, brother. You just, you, you served me that day. You kept me from bleeding more. We're the household of God. But that's not just in this room. We're the family of God. You know, a few weeks ago when we served our community on a serve day, that was precious, y'all, to work alongside three other churches in this community, maybe four other churches, and to see us, them, all together working, feeding the community, 
Jay, wasn't that special? Because we're the family of God, not just in this room, but with all the other believers. Not only that, but the church is God's spiritual temple. So the temple in Jerusalem in Jesus' day, and again in Paul's day, the temple in Jerusalem was a sacred building. It was, everybody knew, they pilgrimaged from all around, from every area around, back to Jerusalem for this festival that, that, that we would have been talking about, you know, this Passover festival. It was because of the temple. The temple was there, and the temple represented the presence of God, so people wanted to be there. It was a sacred building dedicated to the worship of God. It was a place where a holy God and a sinful people would meet together. And then according to Paul in Ephesians 2, the church, us, is a modern-day temple. I like that because this is a place where a holy God and a sinful people meet together right here in this room. God's presence residing in the church. Ephesians 2.20 says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Holy Spirit is putting us together to be a holy dwelling place for God, a place for a holy God to meet with a sinful people. Aren't you glad? That's significant, y'all. That is very, God could have just saved us and, all right, you're saved, but I don't want to have nothing to do with you. But instead, he's like, no, I want to know you and I want to be known by you. I want to meet with you. And he does that here in the church. The church is the body of Christ. We say this one a lot. I think most people would say, yeah, we're the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12, as well as 26 and 27 it says, for just as the body is one, right? Think about physical body now. This is an illustration. Think about your physical, physical body. Just as the body is one and has many members, right? Fingers, toes. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, right? So it is with Christ. And then in verse 26, if one member suffers, I think about bleeding again, Brad. If one member suffers, all suffer together, right? Man, if something hurts on your body, man, if your back hurts, your whole body hurts. You need to lay down. If your hands, you smash your finger with a hammer. I did that yesterday. Smash, ah, throbbing hammer. You know what I mean? Fingers throbbing. You know, you, you, you stop. You're like, you take notice. Oh, everybody gather around. <laughs> Look what I got here. Ouch. <clears throat> it's the same way with the body of Christ. If one suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ. Come on, somebody say, I'm the body of Christ. I'm the body of Christ. I don't know what part we are, but we are all one body, different members, different parts, different gifts, different talents, different interests, different passions, different dreams, different desires, put together as one body to work together. You are the body of Christ and individual members of it. As believers, we are part of the body of Christ, interconnected supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we should value one another. We should respect one another. We should protect one another and support one another, right? I mean, you want your left thumb to succeed, even though you don't use it to write with or to pick things up with. I mean, why do we even have a left thumb, right? No, you do. You're glad you, you don't have one. You know why you have one. You know why you value that left thumb. But 
We want everybody to succeed. We want everybody. And, and when somebody hurts, we should all hurt together. When somebody is down and out, we should all rally around them and lift them up and support them. And you know what? It doesn't happen every time. And there's different reasons. You know, sometimes it's your fault because you didn't tell nobody. I found out weeks after someone had a surgery in the hospital. And I, I mean, I'm like, why didn't you say something? You know, I'm not mad, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, why didn't you say something? And sometimes it's our fault, the church's fault, the people. Sometimes we drop the ball because we're human. It's not a reason to switch churches unless it happens a million times, but really it's not. It is a reason to speak up, though, and say, hey, <laughs> like my thumb did yesterday. When I hit it, it, didn't, it did not remain silent. It did not say, I'll just go hide out in the pocket for a little while until I quit hurting. It said, hey, oh, oh ouch, ouch, yeah, 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 yeah. And I paid attention, right? <clears throat> but as the body of Christ, we should serve one another, honor one another, lift one another up, support one another. Suffer together and rejoice together. The Bible also tells us that the church is the bride of Christ. So Ephesians 5 is a, a, a scripture I like to use when I'm performing a wedding because it talks about the wife submitting to the husband as the head and the husband giving his life for the wife like Christ did for the church. In other words, dying to himself and serving her and lifting her up. Isn't that a pretty picture? The wife says, I'm going to submit to you. And the husband says, yeah, but I'm going to serve you. That's a beautiful picture that God paints for us in Ephesians 5. In the context of that scripture in Ephesians 5.32, Paul says, this mystery, he's talking about husbands and wives, talking about marriage, this mystery, well, it's profound, <laughs> then I'm, I'm really talking about Christ in the church <laughs> and how the church should submit to Christ and at the same time Christ has died to lift up the church. The beautiful picture there. But we are the bride of Christ and Jesus Christ has died for us to become the bride, to be the bride. He is the reason that we are being purified. He loves us as His bride. We are loved by God. We are, it was, he is my beloved and I'm his. I just messed that up bad, but we're loved by God. Jesus is the bridegroom. This picture of the church being the bride of Christ emphasizes the intimate relationship between Christ and his church. He loves you that much. He cares about you that much. Christ wants you to succeed. He wants you to be fulfilled. He also knows that there's a lot of pain in this life, and it grieves him. Sin is devastating. Not your sin, just the sin. You know, we live in an era where there's 6,000 years of compounded sin all around us. All the sins of everyone before us, it's affecting us today. Disease and sickness and heartache and murder and strife. It's all the results of sin. And we add a little bit to it, right? Because we sin. Christ sees all that and He grieves for His bride. The Bible tells us He's coming back one day to scoop us up, to rescue us out of this suffering, out of this pain. And the place He's going to bring us, there's no more tears and no more heartache. I love that. I love that He loves us that much that He would come back for us. 
Y'all do know Jesus is coming back, right? Yeah. Jesus is coming back. When I see hurt and pain, when I've experienced it myself, sometimes I'll just pray, oh, Jesus, would you come back sooner than later? But then I think of all the people who haven't gotten saved yet, the people in our lives that we know, our family and friends and co-workers and classmates that we haven't had a chance to witness to, or maybe we have and they haven't gotten saved yet. And I think, oh, Jesus, don't come back yet because we want them there. But he's coming back for his bride and he's coming back to rescue us out. He's coming back for his church. The church is also the flock of God. The flock of God. This is scripture, right? First Peter 5, 2. Shepherd, and this is talking to me, he's talking to the pastors, other pastors, but shepherd the flock of God, the sheep of God. Often in the Bible, the people of God are referred to as his sheep, the sheep of his pasture, right? As his sheep and the great good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd who shepherds the whole flock. But he instructs us, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. God provides care and protection for his people through the church. His spirit gives guidance and leadership through his shepherds. This series on the foundational principles of Christianity, God inspired the shepherds, the pastors, to gather together to press through, work this out, and then to bring it to you so that you have a more of a firm foundation of what it means to be a Christian. What it mean, what does it even mean, the church, to have clear to have a clear picture of the church, to have a, a good understanding of, of, of ecclesiology so that when the enemy comes and gets in your ear and says, you need to go to another church, those people don't even like you. Look, the pastor didn't look your way three times. It's, it's, the enemy is so manipulative. And when the enemy gets in your ear, you're able to pull back on those foundations, that ecclesiological understanding, and say, no, 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 no. I'm a part of this body. I am a part of the flock uh, of God here. I, I'm a part of this. I, I must go to my brother and tell him the offense and say, you didn't look at me the other day <laughs> or whatever it may be. It's sometimes way deeper than that. It really is. And work it out as the family should and the body of Christ should and support one another. So one more thing for the last few minutes. How does the church work? What, what would you say? Put that up for me, uh, even that next slide. Whatever it looks like. There. Yeah, that's it. What is the order of the church? Because there is order. Everything we've said here, the body of Christ, the flock of Christ, the, the, the bride of Christ, uh, the family of God, all of those elements have order in them, right? They should have order. They work better when they have order. Well, the church works better when it has order as well. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So God is not a God of confusion or disorder. He's a God of shalom, peace, wholeness, completeness. And so wouldn't it make sense that His church would have order in it? And it's just important for us to understand. So here's a few things that will help you with what does it look like to have order in the church. Number one, in order to have order in the church, we must have submission to Christ. Ephesians 1.19 says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and watch this, and seated Him at His right hand. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. I don't know if you knew this, but the right hand is the position of authority and honor. 
in, in protocol, both in heaven, obviously, right, as well as here on earth. Um, just a funny little thing, but you, you go to a courtroom and you're going to be a witness at a courtroom. They raise your right hand. Why don't they say raise your left hand? Because the right hand is a position of authority and honor. It's something to it. It started in heaven. Seated at his right hand and in heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things, the Father put all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to us, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is the head of the church. So for order's sake, who's the top dog? Who's in charge? Who's, who's the, where does the buck stop? It's him, ultimately. Christ is the head of this organization. It's his idea, the church that we're a part of. All authority in the church comes from him. And as members of his body, we are called to submit to his authority. What does he say? That's what I do. Obedience to Christ is a mark of belief in him. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. That sums it up. When we submit to Christ's authority, we prove our love for him as well as our knowledge of his lordship in our lives. I recognize, Jesus, that when I said, when I prayed and I said, Jesus, I repent, would you save me? When I prayed that prayer, I was saying, Jesus, would you be my authority, ultimate authority in my life? I will obey you. I will obey you. And I do my best, and you do your best, right, to, to follow through on that. Sometimes we sin and we repent. We get back in line, back in his grace, as, as some would say. Jesus is the ultimate authority, and submission to Christ is the first step towards order in the church. Number two is submission to Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out. All the Bible is breathed out. It's inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God, and that would be any of us, may be complete, equipped for every good work, that we would be whole, that we would be mature. We need the Scripture, and we need to submit to the Scripture, to the Bible. That's why we need to read the Bible. You, you, cannot, you cannot obey the command of God if you don't know what it is. And so we read the Bible to understand what the command of God is. What is the instruction of God? What is God's guidance, the wisdom of God? You know what? I, I really I love to sit with people who are older. I've had the opportunity over the years and to sit, and one of them was Angela's grandmother, Momo Alliston. And I remember sitting with Momo on several occasions when she was in her late 80s and early 90s. And you know, a couple things about Mama that you just you realize that, that she cared a lot less about some of the things we care about when we're younger, when she got to that age. But also, man, I, I love picking her brain. What was it like? What was it like? I said, one time I said, Mama, what was it like not having air conditioning in your car? And she said, well, we just didn't know what we didn't know. <laughs> you know, we rolled the window down. You know, it's like, oh, profound. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I kind of should have known that, right? It's just, I love doing that because it's wisdom that we can add to our lives. 
When we submit to the Scriptures, we're submitting to God's wisdom for our lives. You want to know how to live the perfect life? Because the Bible tells us. It gives us a picture of that. It gives us the instruction. It is literally our instruction manual, but it won't work if you don't submit to it. And what is that? I look at the Bible. I look at the Bible, and I, ah, I just don't agree with that. Well, it's not going to work for you for sure if you don't agree with it. Well, that's kind of that's kind of like that's just ancient history. All that stuff. I don't know about that. It's not going to work for you. In order for there to be order in the church, we have to submit to Christ and we have to submit to the Word of God. Number three, submission to church leaders. Hebrews 13 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who would have a, to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I, I love this because I get to tell you thank you because you do, as a church, make it really, really easy, fun, rewarding to be a pastor. I wouldn't trade this for anything, y'all. This is the best church in the world to me. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine doing this anywhere else. Couldn't imagine doing it with any other people. It is a joy. It is a joy to serve alongside of you, to be your friend, uh, occasionally to be your leader, sometimes to correct you, sometimes to encourage you. You, you make it easy. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, number four, that was easy. Accountability and discipline. If we're going to have order in the church, there has to be accountability and discipline. The church is responsible for holding its members accountable to biblical standards of conduct. This is controversial. And some would say, I don't think so. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. If God don't say it, then I ain't doing it. Well, you're a knucklehead because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we're to correct one another. So by, God wrote the Bible. God inspired it, right? It's what we just read. And he told men to write it down, and they wrote it down, and they said, for you to confront one another, right? To you to work things out amongst yourselves. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's what godly correction looks like. I don't know what you've experienced. It may not have been pretty. It may have been really bad. Sometimes leadership does wrong things. Sometimes leadership does bad things. Sometimes people in our lives just don't know how to correct us. And so they do the best they can with what they have, and sometimes it hurts. And that's regrettable, and we, we should forgive, right? Because that's biblical. But the Bible tells us when somebody messes up, somebody sins, somebody falls, you catch somebody in a sin, the Bible says to go to them and say, hey, man, you know that's not right. And in a spirit of gentleness to correct them with the goal of bringing them back to God and bringing them in, back into unity with the church. I, I would like to think that's the way we use biblical correction here at Northwood. That is our goal. It's for your good and God's glory. It's, it's biblical. It's what the Bible says for us to do. So the goal of accountability and discipline is not to shame or punish the person who's sinned, but to restore them to a right relationship with God. The last thing is, Number five is unity and diversity. Now, we know that the church is made up of individuals. We've read that. We've talked about that. These individuals have diverse gifts and backgrounds, but yet we're all united in Christ. We're all united in Him. Ephesians 4.1 says, Therefore, prisoner, I, Paul's writing this, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, 
bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We all have different gifts, talents, desires, and dreams for our individual lives. We all bring something to the table. Every single person in this room brings something to the table. You all are contributing to the kingdom by contributing in the church, the local church, to one another, and then from us out to the community, right? And so we all have something to give. We all contribute. But it's not all the same. And so if I was the devil, I would try to make you think you're either better than the person next to you, or maybe I would try to make you think you were less than. Like to build them up. Oh, he's got so much talent. Oh, look at him. I don't have anything. Because then you back out of whatever it is that you could bring to the table. Or if you look at that person and, and, and you think I'm better than them, and that's pride, right? And here it already told us about humility. Then you're going to think you're something that you're not. You know, we, we have a saying, and <clears throat> Morgan, I'll talk to you for a second. You know how we do this a lot. We do this with the worship team and the production team. Nearly every week, we say something along the lines of, let's, let's make sure we leave our egos in our cars, right? Because it, that's so dangerous to bring your ego to the table when you're working with other people. We are a flat organization. Let me, let me, let me come down here with you, right? I might not be in the light, but we're a flat organization. I stand on the stage so the people in the back can see me, but that makes me no better than anybody else. My shoes still stink just like yours. We are a flat organization, and we all bring something to the table, and we have the we have the unique opportunity designed by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our generation. We can carry the baton we received from the previous generation, and we can pass it to the next generation if we'll get our egos and leave them in the car. We all got them. you got an ego, just like I do. Some of our balloons are a little bigger than others, but we all have them. And if we leave them in the car and we, we come together as the body of Christ, nobody's special, nobody's not special. We're just people. And if we love one another and we lift one another up, I want to give you everything I've got, but I expect you to give everything you've got when it comes to building the kingdom of God. I've given my life to the kingdom, not because of you, but the Holy Spirit says we're all to do the same thing. Let's go all in. Let's say, God, I'm a part of your church. Let's make a difference in this generation. Whatever that looks like. Whatever that looks like. Next week, we're going to have church in Jones Park, y'all. That's the craziest idea ever. Not in the building? Oh, my goodness. Will we survive? <laughs> yes. Let's go to Jones Park next week, y'all, and have a party and have a picnic and be the body of Christ. Let's go bring our tents, our chairs, our grills, tailgate, bring some hot dogs, Let's and share them with everybody. Imagine that. Philip, you did that last year. I ate your hamburger last year, bro. It was Brad's, one of y'all's. Grilling it up, walked up, and you said, you want one? Yeah. <laughs> That's just a small illustration of being the family of God, the body of Christ. We, what do you need, man? What do you need? If I got it, let me give it to you. And it goes both ways because if you don't say, I need, then it's hard for people to serve you. Let people serve you. If you need prayer, man, 
Let's pray together. And that's what you, if that's what you need for today, then let's do that. Let's pray together. If you need money, let somebody know, dude, I'm, I, I can't pay my bills this month. And, and you're like, well, man, I'll give you what I got and to help you. If you start doing that every month, they're going to catch on. <laughs> they're you know, they're going to write you off on their taxes. But, man, I, I'm not doing good on the inside. I'm really struggling with, with, I don't know if it's depression or anxiety. And I don't understand, and I can't stop it. Would you help me? That's a miserable place to be, y'all. And the devil wants you all by yourself. But you've got this. You've got this. The people of God, the body of Christ. And we love each other, right? And we serve one another. And we, we say, we say, hey, I need help. And we help the best we can. That's God's design for the church. And get this. I won't preach on this, but there's more. Because this is what he said. They, the people outside the church, will know that I, God, am real by the way you love one another. It's a win-win. When we get over ourselves and leave our egos in the car and we surrender our lives fully to the kingdom of God, your life, which means your time, talent, treasure, all those things to put together, you know, and we say, you know what, God, I'm all in. All of a sudden, he's like, well, all right, well, then I can use you. And all of a sudden, somebody's watching you and they see you do what you do as the body of Christ and they go, there's no way someone would do that if it wasn't for God. And it causes them to believe. Let's be the church. Let's serve the King. Let's proclaim the gospel in this generation and make a difference. You know, the early church, uh, the early disciples believed this. I, I think we do too, but they believed this. And it's interesting because the Bible says this about them. They turned their world upside down. Y'all want to turn the world upside down? I just told you how right here. Let's be the body. Let's be the people. Let's be the flock, the bride. Let's be this today. Come on, let's pray. Father, we, we can't do this without your Holy Spirit. We really can't. We are so full of ourselves that if, if you don't help us, we're just going to mess this up. So today, we all humble ourselves and we repent trying to do it our way and we surrender in obedience to doing it your way and as we do Holy Spirit would you lead us and guide us to love one another to serve one another to make a difference in each other's lives first to love each other like Christ loves us to give grace to one another like Christ gives us to forgive one another like Christ forgives us. Holy Spirit, we need your help. We surrender to that and to your order. And we're asking you, Holy Spirit, to help us, help us to turn our world upside down. 
pray for those in need today that, that they would be able to get some help from the church, from the body of Christ, that we would allow ourselves to, to be real, to be authentic, to say, I need help. And I pray for the rest of us that we would say, yes, we will help you. Build one another up, that we would be whole this spiritual community that you've created, Holy Spirit. We are truly grateful. Right now, nobody's looking around. Everybody's alone. God's here, and he's drawing some of you right now to say yes to, to something bigger than yourself. Say yes to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we're all sinners, all of us, separated from God, and there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves, can't be good enough to fix that. But Jesus Christ, knowing that, willingly gave his life, dying on a cross to take on our sin so that we could be reunited with God, so that we could connect with God and live with God eternally. The Bible goes on to say that if we'll believe that, that message of good news in our heart, confess it with our mouth that we would be saved. Right now, there's no one looking around, but if you're here today and you need to be saved, you need to give your life to God, agree with him for what he's done for you, for your sin, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Just say something like this. Say, God in heaven, please forgive me for my sin. I turn from it today, and I ask you to save me. I ask you to come live inside of me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me to know you. Teach me to love you, Jesus. Tell him this. Say, God, I give you all of me. I surrender. And I'll receive all of you in Jesus' name. Amen.